Hey everybody, welcome to episode 334 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, joined by Mr. James Dodds today. How are you, James? Doing really well. How are you doing? Doing well. Excited to have you back on. Today we're going to go topical after we had our interview on the last episode with your athlete, Dan. That was a whole lot of fun and it was good to dig into his story. But today we're going to talk about a topic that you and I both get questions about a lot as coaches, which I want to make sure as I frame it up that we're talking about it inclusively, but we, we, we want to talk about running and aging and the implications as someone ages on how they might train, but also we're going to weave in some conversation about running and longevity and what are the ways that we can use running to improve potentially our lifespan, but certainly our health span, which is a term that Peter Atiyah talks about, which is essentially how much life you have in the years that you do actually have on this planet. So we're going to get to that topic. We've got eight things that we're going to talk about that you should consider for those aging runners out there as you progress in life. And we'll get to that in just a second. First, I want to thank my sponsors for this episode, Run Jonji running apparel company. I've been working with them now for about six months, really enjoying their apparel, especially their new fall gear, which I get to check out thanks to the temperatures finally cooling off. And then of course, my multi-year partner now, Care Of, they are supporting this episode as well. We'll talk about my partnership with them, give you offer codes for both of those as we go through the show. So with that, let's jump in, James. We wanted to start by framing up the conversation a little bit, and then we're going to dig into eight different things you might consider and think about as you age, both for running performance, but also hopefully for longevity's sake. But first, we got to frame it up because when these topics come up, for me at least, and you tell me if this is your experience as a coach, it comes up in the context of people saying, well, I'm getting older, so therefore... I'm going to be slower or I can't do something because of my age. Is that how you hear about it? Yeah. It's almost like there's this preconceived notion of like, I'm older, therefore I can't do X or Y. Or if I turn this magic 50 or 60, um, then or all 40, of a sudden everything. 40 for some people. Yeah. 40. <laughs> they think <laughs> Me, that anyway. In January. <laughs> um, that all of a sudden something has to look radically different. Um, and it probably comes from good places, like as in like there are certain macro level protocols that, you know, um, when scientists or doctors are looking at like an aging population, what do they recommend, et cetera. Um, and so that's a whole different approach than what we're taking here. It's, it's, you know, I see athletes come in and it's like, I'm actually thinking of age as just one element. Like I like to right size it. Like that's only one factor. I still want to know about how fit are you? What kind of training have you been doing? Um, and I may be getting a little ahead of myself here, but yeah, it's almost like they come in thinking like, because I'm this age, therefore, and it's like, therefore what? Pause. Let's, let's break it down and talk about the whole training background, prior injuries, um, prior PRs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's one variable. And yes, there are certain things that happen to our body as we age that we have to consider. And we'll get to that. But it is not necessarily a prescriptive 
element that says you have to get slower or you can't do certain things. It is one piece of the equation, just like, honestly, I have younger athletes, or let's just say, to be specific, I have athletes in their 20s who can't handle the volume of an athlete that I have coaching in their 60s because that person hasn't properly, or not properly, but hasn't yet built up to the ability to withstand such volume. And so I'm treating them differently in that in that maybe I'm giving them fewer miles because that's their starting point versus an athlete who might be 60 who's been in it longer, has been patiently building, and is already at a place where they can do more volume. Just because that person's 60 doesn't mean they can't do more volume than the 20-year-old. The difference there is just simply perhaps experience and the time spent actually building that volume and doing it safely. So there are actually advantages that come with age in that sense. But let's back up and let's paint the picture because I think generally both in our own minds and then society kind of tells us as we age, there are certain things that we have to think about differently. And while again, we know there's science that tells us our body changes, we our muscle mass starts to decrease, our VO2 max starts to naturally decrease. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do what you want or run faster than ever, especially if you've started later in life. So I know you were t- you were t- talking about this idea before we started about sort of the difference between the healthy and unhealthy at different ages. And I think that frames it up pretty well. So, yeah, my thought there is that um, it might be put under the bucket of like, where does that idea come from? Um, and some of it's just quote obvious because it's observational, i.e. things we've seen in our lifetime. And so sure, it, to me, this has more to do with unhealthy habits and and healthy habits rather than age. But where does age come into that discussion? Okay, if you've got two 30-year-olds, one with some healthy habits, one with some uh, unhealthy habits, then the gap between those two, just with the uh, naked eye, it, it, it seems less wide. You're like, oh, okay, those habits haven't fully taken effect and therefore had their impact on the body itself. Um, and so as you age, sure, yeah, 30 years later, a lifetime of quote, good habits versus uh, bad habits. Let's, let's talk about extremes there. Then the gap between a 60 year old, when you look at a couple 60 year olds, you can see that gap like drastically. Right. But again, I'm not jumping over and saying I can't train a 60 year old to a Boston qualifying marathon or a sub three marathon or, you know, the time, like the time has more to do with their fitness. And I don't want to sidetrack my own self. I'm just saying that the, the healthy versus unhealthy lifestyle and the practices, um, the gap is revealed by age. So, so again, age is a variable, but I don't make it like, uh, the top, uh, variable and say, I can't do, I can't train this person on 40 mile weeks, 50 mile weeks, 60 mile weeks, et cetera. I have a 58 year old right now. Who's, um, I struggle to slow her down to nine minute miles. She is very comfortable running in the sevens. Like she can just be her happy, blissful self running 745 pace. Like I've been, I've actually adjusted her paces three times. She's a private athlete. And um, this is actually a compliment. I'm not saying she's doing anything quote wrong. We've been, we're, we're new to working together only two months in or, and it's like, 
she's very comfortable in the high 30s where we're building the ramp she'll be into the mid 40s uh very soon and her 5k paces um are much faster than a number of 30 year olds or 25 year olds that i coach Again, because that's her individual situation, right? And so that's, I think, one thing we're trying to underscore here is that everybody's different. Everyone has different variables at play. Age is one variable, but we try to make it an overarching, overwhelming variable that negates other thought processes and thinking. And I think as you highlight that gap between the healthy and unhealthy, it tends to mean that from a societal standpoint, especially American society. And I don't know how how, as true this is in other places, but especially in American society, we tend to, from a public health perspective, play to the lowest common denominator. So you can sit there and say, well, at this age, you shouldn't be doing these things. Well, maybe the average person or that lowest common denominator shouldn't be doing certain things because they haven't prepared themselves to do it properly and they haven't they don't they don't have the right guidance to do it but that doesn't mean that everybody at that age shouldn't be doing certain things and so i think we have to be careful to not listen to the societal standards about what we can and can't do as we age and that's hard but it and it also exists by the way across other categories you know there was a new york times opinion piece that came out i believe it was yesterday as we record this that Featured Stephanie Bruce, elite runner. She's pregnant with her third. I may have just had her third. And she was talking about how people would tell her when she was running during pregnancy, just running for fitness and health, they would tell her that she was doing something bad or wrong, that she was, quote, working too hard at as she was pregnant. So she was highlighting this idea that for, for that person, we also have these weird norms about what we think is right and wrong and th- what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And again, I think largely that's an American phenomenon, but it's a dangerous one because pregnant women should be running if they're used to running and if that's feels good and is healthy for them. Obviously, it needs to be tailored to how they're personally feeling and what they've decided with their doctor, but it's not a bad thing to run while you're pregnant. I've coached a lot of women through it. And it's not a bad thing to run and aspire and get and try to get faster regardless of your age, regardless of your age. But society would tell us perhaps differently. And so I think that then leads to this conversation that starts to get rooted in our own heads where there's this grim reaper out there that's coming for us. And I think for me, even as a coach who knows it's not right, I started thinking at age 40, well, there's some point that I'm going to slow down because I'm getting, quote, older. And and so I think we all have that ticking clock, so to speak, in our head that's telling us, well, at some point, the Grim Reaper's coming for me and for my speed, and so I therefore need to plan for that. But I think in many ways it becomes our own limitations become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So one thing that I like to tell people is I don't care how old you are. Do not put limitations on what you can do. Because we've seen it as coaches. We've seen people at all ages do amazing things, still get PRs. Even well into their 60s. I just had a woman... Shout out to Sharon Vaughn, run 402, 
in Chicago, fourth in her age group, 71 years old, fastest marathon in 20 plus years at 71. She's doing all the things <laughs> right. And we'll talk more about what that looks like. But I appreciate Sharon for not putting limitations on what's possible. Yeah, I just want to say kudos to Sharon to them because we're acquaintances. Like we don't, I don't know her uh, like you know her as her coach, but we have mutual friends. And I, when I'm um, working the water stops on Saturday mornings, I'll see her. I mean, she's putting in the work, you know, putting in the work. She does pretty much every single thing that anybody else would do at any age in my groups, and probably more because she's put in the work to be able to do more. Yeah. But where would she be if she put a limitation on herself 20 years ago that said, I'm 51, therefore I can't get faster and I shouldn't still dream big and I shouldn't have high expectations for my results. Where would she be if at 51 she said, no, my fastest days are behind me. I'm going to just coast or I'm not going to train rigorously. She wouldn't be running 402s at 71. That's for darn sure, right? And so it's... To me, that again, there are, there's science that tells us our body changes with age, but I don't think it's helpful to have to lower your expectations with age. Yeah, it, that's um, something Dr. Atia speaks to. Um, I'm reading uh, uh, Outlive largely because of your recommendation, um, and I've I feel like he's given me words for what I'm about to say because I've I've had these experiences with athletes, but then you go read someone who's really sharp and put together. Uh, medical doctor, uh, McKinsey consultant, like, you know, has the background and um, technical experiences. And then he, sh he puts words out there. And so it's, it's more of like, um, uh, I guess the simple, most like colloquial way of saying it is don't go looking for it. But you asked, where would she be? And where she would be is basically what he argues that it's like, if you think, because I'm getting older, I better take it more, I better take it easy. Well, then it's the taking it easy that drops the fitness and then the drop in fitness and the drop of activity is what leads to, um, you know, uh, um, sedentary lifestyle. And then it's the sedentary lifestyle that leaves you a little bit bored, that makes you watch a little more TV, that makes you eat a little bit more food, that makes you think, well, I've de I deserve this. And, and you, you, again, you spiral down. It's back to the Matthew, Matthew principle of like, you're either like spiraling up or spiraling down. And if you just lead with one little thought that you didn't spend a lot of time with, it was just that short thought, um, I'm older, therefore, and that's, that's all you did. You didn't go deep with this. I'm not even saying people should do three hours of deep, um, you know, uh, thought processing, but rather just spend a little time with that thought. It's like, what do you mean I'm older? Therefore it's like, go with it. Okay. I'm getting older. So yeah, there may be things that I should consider or, um, like you already opened with like VO two max, or like we know there's use it or lose it with, um, you know, fast twitch fibers and stuff. So it's like, yeah, if you had never worked like your fast twitch fibers then you may not get a chance to um, fully develop an all out 5k pace. So there are some components, but you don't have to quote back off and quickly lead yourself down into a sedentary lifestyle just because you had another birthday. <laughs> right. And I would contend, and I think Peter Atia speaks to this as well, is that you actually have to raise your standards. Mm -hmm. You have to raise the bar in terms of the work that you're willing to do as you age and we're going to talk about all of that as we go through it in terms of how you balance that. But you actually have to do more as you age in order to 
blunt some of those natural physical declines that are just built in and programmed. And especially for those people that started running later in life, that typically means you can still continue to get faster well into more advanced ages because you're building your aerobic system as if it was an infant. And that might start for some people at late thirties or forties or fifties, but whatever that starting point, you have 15 to 20 years from that starting point of building your aerobic system to go from it being an infant to it being a well oiled, mature adult machine. And as you do that, Yes, it's offset some by muscle decline and offset some by natural VO2 max decline. But most likely, if you're willing to do the work, you can keep getting faster the entire time, which is the exciting part. And so, so yes, there are things that happens with age, but I don't find it helpful or productive to limit yourself. And when I start getting those narratives in my own head, which happens because I'm human, usually my antidote is to just look at athletes around me that are older than me that are still kicking my ass <laughs> and or doing things like Sharon and and you say okay well if they can do it then I can too I better raise my game there are so many athletes <laughs> that are 20 I, I actually have 10 stories in my my head and I want to share them all but out of respect to you and your listeners I'll pick one um, and just say that um because I love the man and I appreciate all he's done for Rogue and done for me. Um, I remember the very first team party I went to at Coach Bobby Garcia's house. And I saw his 20 marathon medals on the wall. And um, it, that one single moment, I don't, I don't even know if I can fully measure the impact it had on me. I would have been 26 at the time. And I, I don't know how to quantify that. I just know it was a powerful, powerful moment looking at someone's work study and seeing 20 marathons on the wall and thinking, holy cow, look at that achievement, only to find out he, he ran his first marathon in his 40s. His journey didn't even begin with like high school cross country or, you know, collegiate running or post-collegiate. Like, it's like he started his body of work put up 20 marathon medals on his wall that inspired me. And hopefully I'm inspiring other people. I know that I am. Uh, that was a self-deprecating thing, but it's like he caused a ripple effect that's continuing to cause a ripple effect. Um, and the man didn't even, I think it was 42. I'll confirm with him, but I'm pretty sure he ran his first one at 42. Yeah. It just it points to the fact that we are limited only by the limitations society puts on us or the limitations that we put, on our own mind. And there are nuances to think about, which we'll talk about, but step one in all of this is to please, please discard those limitations because it's just doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve you. And it will only serve to actually bring you down. If you start to believe those limitations. So that's a long way of introing this topic. Now I want to talk about eight things that I think you should think about as you're aging for both the sake of performance and potentially for longevity as well. But before we get to those eight things, I want to talk about my partnership with Run Johnji, Johnji Running Apparel. I've been working with him now for six months. I'm actually wearing one of their pieces as I record this. It is fall. Obviously, there's a lot of great things about Run Janji, including the fact that they support great causes, water projects all around the world. 
but their stuff is great too. And in particular, as we enter these fall temps, I want to highlight their Merino pieces. I'm actually wearing the Merino tee right now. They have a Merino long sleeve and a brand new Merino hoodie that is absolutely to die for. Merino wool is nature's dry fit fabric, essentially. Great for cooler temps, but by the way, actually really amazing and breathable in warmer temperatures as well. So go check out their Merino line as well as all of the other stuff on their website, runjohnji.com. You can get 15% off using my code ROGUE15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5. For 15% off, you can use it once, you can use it twice, you can use it as many times as you want to save on their apparel. Go check it out. Okay, back to my conversation with James. And as I've thought about this topic, I think I told you this a month ago or so when we were talking about it. I, I, I used to say I think there's only one thing that you have to think about as you age that is a rule of thumb across the board. I would actually say now that I have two. And so we're going to start this conversation about running and aging with those two things that I think are brass tacks as you age. You have to think about it. You have to do it. And by the way, these are good things for all ages too. But as you age, I think you you can't afford not to think about these two things. So we're going to start there and then we'll talk about six others. The first one is strength, strength training. Ideally, you start this young in life. But if you haven't, then you can't start soon enough to have a regular, regular strength routine embedded in your programming a couple of times a week, 30 to 45 minutes as a minimum dosage. You just have to do it. And as you age, you really have to do it because yes, you're getting that natural muscle mass decline, that natural conversion of slow or fast twitch to slow twitch fibers that happens as you age. And so to slow that process down, you don't have a choice and you have to strength train both for performance, but also for the ability to stay healthy along the way as you do it. And then Peter Atia would say also to improve health span so that when you get to be 80, 90, 100, if you get that far, then you're able to actually do simple things in life. He calls this Centurion Decathlon in that book of being able to do basic things like pick up your grandkids go for a walk to a local restaurant, whatever it may be. Unload your groceries. Unload, Yeah, the basic things that we want to be doing. And so that to me is brass tacks. You have to be doing it. If you're not doing it, you need to start. Start with simple body weight movements if that's all you can do. But you simply, you can't not. Yeah, uh, use it or lose it. I mean, we people have heard that, but there's a truth to it. Um, and the last part that you kind of, uh, ended with, I would say if, if you don't have a strength routine and practice, you actually have to start there. Um, remember weight bearing body weight is weight bearing. You know, if you look at uh, fitness through the lens of, or, or you look at swimmers or cyclists, um, those are non weight bearing, uh, activities. And so, um, bone density doesn't build as much. And so sometimes again, we go to extremes when we hear things and it's like, I need to do quote heavy lifting. It's like, okay, sure. Yes. There are, there's tremendous benefit to heavy lifting, but just like everything, you got to start with a progression. So anyone that's ever 
run on an alter G would understand this concept. It's that's actually you running with a percentage of your body weight, 50%, 70%. That is quote weight bearing. Sometimes, um, when someone says get active and get into weight bearing activity, um, always, whether I'm coaching a 20 year old, a 30 year old, 40, 50, 60, it doesn't matter. Um, the question becomes, where are you currently? And so I just want to emphasize this piece because if someone doesn't have a strength routine and they're in their late fifties or sixties, then you do start with body weight and that's not quote you, uh, not doing it the right way or you being behind, or it's like all of those thoughts, just discard them and start where you're at. Like a, like an air squat with just your body weight will have impact. If you haven't been doing air squats or squats period. Absolutely. And it's critical to get the movement patterns right so you don't hurt yourself doing it. I mean, I started working, lifting, quote, heavy weights with a trainer last June as a part of my evolution as an athlete. And I mean, it would be embarrassing to say what weights I was using at the time because it was very, very, very minimal in order to make sure that my body could hinge the way it needed to hinge for deadlifts, could get the depth and the mobility that I needed for squats to do those safely and not impact my lower back. So it was a very, very gradual progression over now more than a year to the point where now I can actually do deadlifts with quote real weight. But it took me 12 to 14 months to get there of just very, very gradually building that starting with clean, healthy movement. And so from this perspective, I actually think, especially if you're starting this part of your journey a little bit later in life, whether you're 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever it may be, I actually think it's pretty critical to help, to get a trainer, to get someone who knows what they're doing, especially for runners, to help you navigate that process as you enter this type of work. Because you need somebody who can look at you and tell you whether you're doing it right, help you build gradually. And it might be just a couple of sessions you do with somebody to kind of get oriented, but well worth the investment. Because if you can start with good functional, healthy movement patterns, then as you add weight, then it'll only benefit you. Yep. Because people are going to say, well, I don't have, I don't have the money to do that. And I get it. It's a, luxury in a sense. But if you think about it from a context of what are you investing in, if you save, I don't know, 300 bucks to do three sessions with a trainer that are hundred bucks each or, or 450 bucks, 150 bucks each, whatever it may be, if you save and spend that money. You're investing not only in your well-being, you're investing in your performance, you're investing in the ability to extend your life because you're doing these things in the right way and, and look no further than Peter Atia's book outlive to understand the value of strength training as a part of longevity. And so I think it's well worth it if you can do that, just even a handful of sessions so that you start the right way and they can give you routines to do and, and then set you on a path because I don't think the, the movements are complicated. You know, we've talked I've talked about it before in this show you, you know, you need the squat, the hinge, the push, the pull, very the core. I mean, those are the five areas you need to work. And so if it's air squats, deadlifts, both with two legs and one leg, and 
push-ups and some sort of pulling or rows with some core work planks. I mean, that's that's all you really need is something in those five categories done a couple times a week. Not complicated movements, basic movements, starting with body weight, working your way up to more weight. If you can do those things and continue to progress as you go, then you're 95% of the way there. Two quick reactions. One, yes, always use less than you think. Because if you're committed to this, um, I, I, I constantly play mind games with myself. Like, how committed are you, Don's? Because if you're committed, you don't have to rush into the next plate on the bar. And so I, I actually use the lighter weight to um, sort of play a mind game of like, if you're really committed the next summer, you'll have X amount of weight on the bar, et cetera. And I have some numbers in my head just because high school powerlifting, et cetera. Um, but um, what I wanted to really emphasize is start less than you think. Like when in doubt, this, this is just like coaching runners with their mileage and, and in their paces. It's like when in doubt... Uh, lean conservative um, because if you build a practice for four to six weeks, um, we get that from Jack Daniels. You can expose an athlete to this, uh, a stimulus for four to six weeks to maximize the benefit, and then you can progress just slightly. Um, and then I also wanted to take away um, the the financial thing. I know the coach is a financial concern, but if truly finances are the concern then you just need to be a YouTube research, like um, obsessed with it because you can find 30 second clips with um, uh, seriously 30 second clips exist on how to have proper form with almost any movement that you need to do in the gym. If the movement itself is so complicated that a 30 second explanation on YouTube isn't available, then you don't even need to be doing that movement. I'm like, people way overcomplicate uh, strength development. And it's like, first build the practice. Prove to me you're in there two to three times a week for four to six weeks. And then you can add, you can do five to 10 pound progressions for four to six weeks, five to like Google the term um, progression overload. That will serve you. Google air squat, lunge, um, single leg uh, squats, all the the, uh, exercises you just listed. Um, that to me would prove that someone's taking this very serious and it basically eliminates, like I'm so thankful not to overplug him and over preach it, but I am so thankful for the people like Huberman. And I guess you too, Chris, like you give this away as a resource. You have over 300 episodes on how to do the best you can with, with running and training so that you uh, seek optimal fitness gains and reduce injury. And if you want, I actually have this all in a spreadsheet for myself. Um, all of Huberman's interviews with authorities in the world, the top minds in the world, giving away this knowledge for free. And so if money is the concern, then you've got Huberman interviewing um, authorities on planet Earth on how to develop strength. And if you were to, quote, get into a six-week progression, do you go higher reps or do you go lower weight uh, reps increasing the weight? The answer for what you'll get out of that is found for free from PhDs, neuroscientists, from Stanford. It's like, it's free. Yeah, so no excuses. That's what I'm trying to say. The other thing I would emphasize here is that if you're ever super sore from doing this work, you're doing too much. You, You should not be sore. 
There may be moments where you're like, oh, a little tight, whatever. But if you're super sore, debilitatingly sore from any strength workout, you're doing too much. Full stop. I mean, what I don't think I don't think I could in a year and plus working with my trainer, I don't think I could point to one single day where I was super sore the next next day. All just very patiently building. Doing less load than you think. Fewer reps than you think. Because it's it's about the accumulation of the little steps that matters. It's the body of work. We like to think with running two that one workout will make the difference when really it's the body of work that we have to look at. And the same with strength. It's small things done consistently. Not one session, two sessions, but years of sessions. So think bigger. And if you're too sore, that means you need to pull it back. Yeah. And I would just give one little asterisk. And that's, if you haven't been doing anything, then that first trip, even just, uh, I had someone, um, <laughs> shout out to Nick, uh, love the guy already. He's a new athlete working with me from Australia, but, um, I got him to order some bands off of Amazon and he went through some monster walks and he said he was pretty <laughs> sore. And the only caveat there is again, because he's not been doing monster walks. And the first time he put a band around his knees and just walked like he, he didn't take any unnecessary risk. He just right. walked 10 steps forward, 10 steps back. That first set or two may, <laughs> may cause that. But yeah, over time, um, it's almost like some people get think that if I didn't feel that, then somehow I didn't do enough. And that's, that's the caution I think you're giving them in a weird way. Luckily I have to lift alone and that, that actually holds me accountable. Um, because yeah, I'm like, no one's going to pull this bar up for me. Right. You can't, you can't do more. Okay. So we've, we've, we've hammered that one. Well, I think so. That's number one, brass tacks. You you have to be doing strength as you age. Number two, I would say, which has recently been added to my list of the top two things you have to be doing regardless of age is that I do think as you age, you need more polarization in your training. And you really could use this at a young age too, but at a young age, we can get away with it where we're not polarizing enough. But I think in a, in, as we age, we we can't. We can no longer get away with a lack of polarization. And when I talk about polarization and I have a whole episode on is your training polarized enough, it's the extremity of making your easy run super easy, investing your speed workouts in very properly dosed and and concise ways, typically once a week for most people, it's making sure that you're investing in recovery and easy movement from that perspective in ways that perhaps you could get away with if you didn't when you were younger. You have to make sure that your training is polarized enough. Easy days, recovery days, super easy. Hard days, not going faster than you should, not going faster than prescribed, making sure that you're following the plan because your margin for error shrinks dramatically as you age. It's, I'm just going to react because that's the advice, but it's like I'm, um, as, as I'm listening and thinking on this, it's almost like just like the, the age reveals the gap between the healthy and unhealthy that I had mentioned earlier. It's almost like age helps reveal the importance of what we've been preaching all along. It's like, you know, if you're just starting out as a runner, it's like build your aerobic engine and do some strides. Like those strides hit fast twitch fibers, that extreme end, and then you're long, easy running 
develops the aerobic engine. So yeah, amen is what I'll say to that one. And it's for those that want the episode, episode 291, is your training polarized enough? And by the way, for those younger athletes that are listening, the same applies to you if you can, if you're willing to embrace it. Because you'll get the most out of yourself. You will reach your potential more quickly and have a higher peak. If you allow yourself to embrace this concept earlier, you'll also have a longer and healthier history in the sport if you're willing to embrace this at younger ages. But you also, at those ages, typically have a little bit more margin for error because the body might be more resilient. But once we hit 40 plus You can't do it any other way. You have to listen to these fundamental rules about balancing your easy days with your hard days, making sure your easy paces are a minute per mile slower than marathon pace, two minutes per mile slower on easy run or on recovery run days, hitting those target paces when you're supposed to, doing the foam rolling, doing the mobility work, fueling well, sleep all those other elements that are going to help keep you healthy because again, as I said earlier, your margin for error becomes nothing and we're much smaller. And so you have to listen to that. Good for good advice for any age, but absolutely critical as you age. And people ask me all the time, they say, well, do I need more recovery as I age? You know, does, does that mean that I need more space between my quality workout and my long run, perhaps. And I would say that in general, it's not necessarily true that you have to have that as you age. There may be reasons for anybody of any age to create more space between hard efforts or long efforts. But what is absolutely true is that if you're doing a quality workout on a Wednesday, If you don't get in that glacially slow recovery run on a Thursday as you age, and when I mean glacially slow, I mean glacially slow, then you definitely shouldn't be doing that long run on Saturday because that's when people get hurt is when they go from hard effort to long effort without an easy movement day in between. And especially as you age, that becomes true. So I think you don't necessarily have to space things out more. Some people might, but they could, that could be true at any age, but it absolutely becomes critical that when you're getting in that recovery day, that it is even more polarized than you could even imagine. I mean, I think about it for me, and this is, I think we're independent really of aging. It's just wisdom more than anything of knowing that when I'm doing a recovery run, I can run three, four minutes per mile slower than my marathon pace. And that's going to serve me better than if I were to go faster, because then I can actually put more into my quality workouts. And also relatedly, it just means that I have to listen to my body more and heed what it's telling me. You know, we were talking about this earlier this week, I had a quality workout on Saturday, 18 miles with some work prescribed by my coach, Kathy. I was feeling beat up from that and from also a general lack of sleep that I have had just because life has been busy. And so on Tuesday, 
in our medium long run with Team Rogue, I slowed that run down even more, like probably a couple of minutes per mile slower than I normally would because that's what my body was asking for in the day. Still did the medium long run and got the same time on the feet that I would otherwise, but I did it actually at two minutes per mile slower. And so the ability to listen to your body and polarize accordingly, which might look like an easier medium long run, might look like, a, look like an easier recovery run. It might look like modulating your workout paces a little bit. Could look like choosing the fewer end of, or the, the lower end of the reps on a workout than the higher end. You have to listen to your body and polarize accordingly. Doesn't mean you can't do the work that a younger athlete might do, but you have to be more in tune. James is giving me a thumbs up. I was preaching there a little bit. No, I liked it, and I just didn't feel as <laughs> You're like, you I know have I can add. go off on tangents. <laughs> You're like, so I I'm have nothing to, to add. I'm keeping myself on a good leash here. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm maturing, Chris. I have nothing to add. Preach on, brother Chris. Right? That's what you wanted to say. So you have to polarize. That's those are the only two things I think you have to think about. The rest of these things we're going to talk about are considerations that I think everyone should think about. And we've already kind of covered or I touched on the the third one that I've got on my list here, which is that related to the second one, and I just kind of hit it, which is that you have to have to listen to your body. You have to become a student of how it feels. You have to set your ego aside and be willing to do what it's telling you. You have to understand that when you do that as a part of the bigger picture, it's better for you than if you just power through. And again, by the way, this is true at all ages, but I think especially true as you age. And it means that you have to develop the ability to hear what it's telling you. And I, and I think especially in the day of everything coming from our watch and even Garmin telling us how long we need to recover before we do something, people are both struggling to hear what their body's telling them and especially struggling to listen to it and act on it because of what Strava might say to the world or what their ego might say when they have a certain metric on their watch. And, and yet what we're telling you is that as you age, you have to both flex your muscles in terms of being able to really be in tune but also being willing to listen. Yeah, again, I think it's it's highlighting like some of the things that we've been trying to uh, preach as um, values and principles that all runners should abide by, um, and it's being highlighted um, the significance of it, the importance of it, and the degree to which you feel it in your body um, is highlighted in the aging process. And it. And it's tricky, you know, and I, I think, you know, I've, I have an episode on developing your running intuition where I talked a little bit about this as well, which is that you have to, at some level, trust your gut about what it's telling you. And as someone who's been running for 20 plus years, I think I'm still evolving at understanding what my body's telling me. I still have things to learn, even though I'm advanced in my process of learning those things. And 
one of the things I think people struggle with is being willing to trust the gut, to go with what it's telling you, make a decision, and then learn from that decision and then file that away as a part of your evolution versus being paralyzed by what you think it's telling you and, and saying, I'm not sure what's the right thing here. And yes, you can ask a coach and you can get advice from other running friends and you can certainly get input from others. But more than anything, I want you as each individual is listening to trust your gut, to follow it, to then take your lessons from that and continue to evolve. Because again, as I just mentioned, it's the body of work that matters. It's not any one workout. It's not any one run. You can make mistakes here and there. And it's only a bad thing if you didn't learn from it. So let's talk about some examples. And again, I kind of already mentioned one there. I mean, this is a week. Actually, let's, let's talk about it this way. So we were having a discussion on the virtual message board that we have with our renegades. Somebody, somebody posted a really kind of funny, but interesting question recently about how do we measure our weeks? You know, do you measure it Sunday to Saturday or do you measure it Monday to Sunday? (laughs) If you look at Strava, if you look at that miles per week total, it's, it's Monday to Sunday, right? But some people measure their week Sunday to Saturday. Does it matter? No. (laughs) In a sense that I don't care how you're measuring it, right? It's, it's actually not really even about your total mileage. It's about how those miles fit together But in the context of that conversation, it kind of came up, well, what happens if I have to do, if I have to move my long runs? Like part of the reason why one of our runners decided to switch to measuring Monday to Sunday was because if they have to move their long run from Saturday to Sunday, then it doesn't affect their total mileage in that it doesn't doesn't artificially inflate it where they might have two long runs inside a seven-day period. And anyway, a funny discussion, long way of getting to a point that says your body doesn't know or care whether you measure it Monday to Sunday or Sunday to Saturday. Your body just knows the work that it's done in a a period of time. And so one of the points that I made in this message board thread was if I have to move my long run to Sunday, which sometimes happens, and then I do another long run the next Saturday... That's two long runs in a seven-day period. Most likely, if I don't listen to my body, it's going to know that I had one less day to recover between long runs. And so, therefore, I have to adjust in some way, whether that means shortening volume somewhere else during the week, whether that means backing off on my speed workout during the week, whether that means maybe adjusting one of those long runs so that it doesn't push me over the edge. But I guarantee you, my body's going to be telling me something independent of what the calendar says and what my Strava weekly total is that I need to be paying attention to. And that is going to trump how we measure. Yeah. um, There is a right answer here, though. Okay. The week starts on Monday. (laughs) No, um, to the real point that you're making, um, it's... Um, the tip there guys is look at trailing miles. 
uh, meaning look backwards. Like if today I'm about to do a quality, um, I, in, in the weight room, I do this too. It's like, I, I look, um, I go into my notes section and I look at my last three workouts and the, like the big lift, whether it's like uh, bench for like chest and upper body, or it's, um, you know, squats like that being the key lift or it being deadlifts or back, like whatever day I'm, I go back and I'm like, all right, it's been it, the, the, um, I, I, I see what I'm going to do next is the one that's, uh, I did the furthest away from that. So I put space between the big heavy lifts. Um, but really to apply it to marathoners, it's, uh, or runners, it's, um, look at the trailing miles. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to, again, back to all athletes should look at it this way. I'm trying to like really press this home this season with my evening edition crew by highlighting it in uh, weekly emails. I'll say like, if you did the McClung special, um, in the second week, versus the first week like consider that right like consider the concept of progression overload and how tired you are and how tired the fibers are like there's global recover and recovery and there's local recovery like and sometimes people get very specific and just think about the local like i worked the legs this day in this moment but the central nervous system is at play too the global recovery and so you look back you you know um doing three miles at mgp at the end of a 20 miler and let's say you're someone who averaged 50 mile weeks and it's the second up week in a row then that means your hundredth mile miles 97 i'm sorry 98 99 and 100 were run at mgp and that matters right um and so um not that I'm trying to confuse everybody and think, now nah, I should re rework everything that I do. I'm just saying, no, when you're trying to listen to your body, those are uh, components to look at. Look at the trailing miles. And you're like, if in the last 14 days, 10 days, and seven days, um, I've put in X amount of miles and X amount of qualities, um, and, and the long runs were at X distance, um, consider that. And if you're feeling beat up, hurt, run ragged, then you're like, wait, I have good reason to be because I just did back to back 20 milers. And the second one, uh, my last three miles were at MGP, meaning my 98th, 99th and 100th mile were at MGP. Some people may think that that's just me reframing it because I'm a positive guy. And I'm like, no, physiology is at play there just as much as I, even more so than psychology is at play right there. Yeah, and that you're talking about training stress, but there's also life stress that you have to listen to as well. And you know, what are the things around you from a work, family, relationship, sleep perspective? If those things are out of whack for whatever reason, then you have to make adjustments. You have to listen to your body because it's going to be better for you to adjust, do a little bit less than you think versus do more and dig a bigger hole for yourself. And I think about this for me, again, an example from a couple of weeks ago, my wife, who's great now, ended up in the ER with appendicitis a couple weeks ago. Ended up having surgery to remove it. Everything's fine now, all good. But we spent a night in the ER, a Friday night in the ER, while she was managing that situation, which meant no sleep on a Friday. It also meant no long run on that Saturday morning, which I had planned. And the rest of that week, I spent catching up from missing that night of sleep and the stress that came with it. And therefore, I had to adjust. I didn't do as many miles as I wanted or planned that week. I backed off on speed from a, from a pace perspective because I knew that I was working from a deficit. 
from a sleep perspective. And if I had just tried to power through and follow the plan as is, that would not have served me in the long term prepping for Houston. So I had to listen to our body. Did I want to? No. You know, did I want to back off? No. But I know as a coach and as an athlete that I had to because of the circumstances that were essentially out of my control. So you have to heed those things too. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to go ahead and say this because I almost said it earlier. And now, now because it came up, Amy and I went for a walk and um, we talked about the, the, the moment, the, the series of things that led her to walk off a plane. And when she walked off that plane, she did not know in that moment she had appendicitis. She still thought like maybe it was the food I ate. Right. And so um, where I'm going with this is we had a long discussion that I, love to have. And that's on instinct and intuition. And in our world right now, um, you know, we, we constantly seek science. I seek science, even though I'm an intuitive guy, like even in Myers-Briggs, it's like ENFJ, I'm an intuitive feeler. Um, but you know, in a, in a data driven science driven world, what I want to drive home to people is that instinct and intuition can be trained and the way by which you train them is through science. And so it's a constant feedback loop. And so when we're talking about listening to your body, we're talking about instinct and intuition. And you can read the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, who talks about uh, this concept in one of the chapters. But furthermore, it's like you take the science, you understand the variables and the protocols, you train according to them. um, You look at you, you you consider what you should be uh, looking at when you're reviewing yourself. And then that puts it into your body. And so over time, like at first, you may not trust your quote gut. You may not know how to quote, listen to your body. I went through this one with eating. Actually, everyone was, you know, I would hear all these like nutritionists talking about like intuitive eating and saying, listen to your body. And I was like, F that, because if I listen to my body, I'm going to eat like 10 donuts, two (laughs) steaks, chili cheese fries. You know, I, I was very afraid of this idea of quote, listening to my body said another way, intuition or instinct until over time after the course of, uh, for me like 20 years now, but even just developing a practice now, um, if you are someone who quote is afraid to listen to your body, because you think if I listen to my body, then I would never work out ever. Uh, my body just wants to sit and be lazy. It's like, okay, well, you actually have a little bit more going on with mental health there and the ability to trust yourself. than you do quote, the ability to he- uh, hear what your muscles are saying back to you after a workout. Nonetheless, though, um, take from us, this is ultimately a, a, an encouragement that instinct and intuition matter. We're animals first, and um, your body's really smart and your mind's really smart, and ultimately it wants to take care of you and do what's best for you. And then by reading the science, you can train that instinct and intuition. Those two things are not opposed. It's not either or. It's, quote, both and. Listen, trust, learn. Even more important as we age. Number four, so that was number three. Number four on my list is I do think for some people, and again, this will evolve for everybody depending on how they feel as they go, but I do think longer, considering longer warmups or giving yourself more time to ease into things becomes a part of the journey for many which is some people that might include some sort of mobility routine before they start, maybe doing some foam rolling before they start. I know we have runners that, that have some activation routines that they do very basic body weight type movements and, and, or potentially more miles 
more easy miles before you start your workout or the hard part of whatever you might be doing. I know personally that I find that I need to run longer before I feel like I'm ready to really crank it. And for me, sometimes that looks like more easy miles. Sometimes that just means like, that just means that the early reps in a workout become warm up reps, so to speak, where I'm gradually progressing into the workout versus starting out right on pace, which by the way, is I think a whole principle that most people should follow anyway, is the idea of progression through workouts. But either way, as you evolve, you'll need to see and at least be aware of how that warm up process evolves. And I would mostly encourage people to just play with it, play with different things because I don't think there's a one size fits all approach on this concept. I think it's more about what's working for you. Figure that out, go with it, incorporate that into especially your speed days, but perhaps into race days as well so that you can make sure that your body is ready to fire and do when you ask it to so that you don't get hurt along the way and so that you get the most out of it. Yeah, I guess a practical application is just like um, if you, let's say you did your average normal two mile warm up and you have eight by 400 on the track. It's like we, we often ride in progressions anyway, and we're always encouraging people to do this, but it's like, you don't like, if you're going to miss, miss under, like miss, miss a little slow. And if that first 400, like you, you picked up the effort and it was closer to 10 K pace. So, so be it like, be like, okay, now I feel like I'm, I'm getting an idea of where the legs are matching, like the effort and the thought. And so I'm seeing that, that triangle of like all of it working together and then go for a little more on the next one. And if you don't quite get into 5 K pace until your third one, so be it. Um, but you, you eased into it and you found it. Yeah, pretty straightforward, but perhaps harder to apply. So just play with it. Give yourself more time to warm up. That's number four. Number five and six here are related. And you could probably talk about these together or interchangeably. But I want to talk about this concept that has come up a lot. You'll see it on social media. You'll see it in Peter Atia's book. Number five is this idea that the low heart rate zones and some would particularly call out zone two here, the low heart rate zones become really, really critical to your development. And this kind of gets back to this whole idea of polarization as well. But but really, I, I wanted to highlight this as its own part of the conversation because, and you'll see in Outlive, Peter Tia's book, he has a whole chapter on zone two and doing more zone two work as a pathway to longevity from an aerobic standpoint, it's also a pathway to getting faster if you're willing to, to hang out there. But I think there's a couple of things to consider when you're, when you hear zone two talked about that I think are really important. One is that you have to be getting good measurements. You know, there are rules of thumb on heart rate zones and we have our wrist-based heart rate on most of our GPS watches, but I don't think those two things together are good enough to have you know whether you're in zone two or not. And so I want to first caution people that if you want to use heart rate, then you should get tested get your VO2 max tested so that you know what your actual zones are. 
and you need to be wearing a chest strap so that you're getting an accurate heart rate reading because your wrist is not giving you an accurate heart rate reading. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had recently with athletes about heart rate. And then I simply ask them, well, are you, how are you measuring it? And they'll say their wrist because that's the most common. And in general, we have to just throw it out <laughs> because you'll get wonky readings and then you don't, even if it looks right, you don't know if it's right. So I'm just, I'm, I'm so hesitant as a coach to use it at all. Unless, you know, for me, I have a device I've been using for three years and I can now, based on watching it year after year, get a decent sense from a relative sense, not from an absolute sense, but a relative sense, whether or not my runs were at the right zones. But that's after three years of watching one device's outputs and my own data, you know, itself. So one, make sure you have good data on this. And if you don't, if you don't, then I would rather you use perceived effort, which in general is going to mean going easier than people think, than worry about what bad heart rate formulas and bad data sources are telling you. So that's sort of point one. Point two is that, and this is something emphasized by Alan Cousins, who is a triathlon coach and somebody I follow on Twitter, who I think is a really good follow, Cousins spelled C-O-U-Z-E-N-S. He talks about the idea that most people shouldn't necessarily be worried about zone two at all. They need to be doing more zone zero and zone one work because those zones as well are a gateway to higher capacity at the higher zones. And for most people, they're safer zones to play in. You can go more, go longer in them. And you don't risk, like most people risk going too hard and flipping into a zone three, which becomes a bit of a no man's land for zonal development zonal heart rate development. And so, you know, I get these people asking me all the time, like, well, what's the, what's the max heart rate I can run in, in order to be at the right spot for easy runs. And I'll usually tell you something and, you know, 180 minus your age is a general rule of thumb that's in the ballpark for most people. But I would rather people be asking, how low can I go <laughs> versus how high can I be to be at the very top? Because being at the very top is a risky space to be and you risk going into the wrong zone. You risk putting more neuromuscular and musculoskeletal stress on your system versus camping out in zone one, which you can do forever and feel good about forever. And by the way, still have all the benefits or most of the benefits of zone two work. Yeah, that flip is, it speaks to presuppositions. It's like people don't know they're showing their cards when they ask a question, but just by the way they orient around a question, they're sort of showing their cards. Like if, if, if you're asking like, how fast can I go? Um, as opposed to how slow can I go? Um, you're kind of revealing, it's like, you don't quite buy into this, do you? Like, right. And that's okay. It's not like a quote call out to be... People need a reminder that we're their coaches and we don't have some ill motive here. Like ask yourself, why would we be recommending these things? Like if we tell you to slow down or go easy or consider what cousins is calling zone zero, um, why, 
what motive do we have to tell you that? Like, chew on it. Chew on the motive. <laughs> do you think we're here to kind of like somehow pull wool over your eyes and cause you to get less of a result? But we understand that you may not trust it yet. And it's revealed to us often in the way by which you ask a question. Anyway, the real point yeah. is slow it down and slow get it into down that easy and, zone. and embrace it. And don't worry about zone two so much, especially if you don't have a good data source. Zone zero, zone one, all that stuff is going to be productive. And those zones impact the higher zones just as well. And by the way, we know that hanging out in those zones helps you with longevity. And so embrace it because it not only helps you live longer, but also will help you get faster. And okay, before we get to the next one, I want to talk about my partnership with Care of. I've been working with them now for two years. But if you haven't heard me talk about them before, they are a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. I started out with them couple years ago, using them for my vitamin D to make sure I was getting that consistently. I've added other elements over time. And now it is an absolute staple for me to get the vitamins, nutrients, elements that I need to make sure that I'm performing at my best, especially as I'm still striving at 44 years of age. But in order to have the benefit, consistency is key and their subscription makes it easy to be consistent. All you have to do to get started is go to their site takecareof.com, take the short quiz, input your lifestyle and health goals, and they will give you a list of recommendations to add to your daily packs. You can also supplement other elements that you already know you need, add it to your packs so that then those are shipped to you without you having to think about it every single month. And then you take those daily vitamin packs. If you haven't done it already, go to takecareof.com and for 50% off your first order, Use the code ROGUE50, R-O-G-U-E-5-0. Again, that's takecareof.com. Use the code ROGUE50 for 50% off. If you haven't done it yet, go check it out. All right, back to our list on running and longevity, which gets to number six on the list, which is as we age, natural VO2 max drops. And so we actually have to train even more. We have to train even more in order to get similar results. So naturally there's a thought, well, I'm getting a, I'm getting older, so I need to be doing less volume. And the reality is you actually need to be doing more volume. Now, again, you can only do as much, as much volume as you can recover from. So there's a limitation there. If you've got life stress and things like that, that are hard to balance, but Absent those elements, you want to be doing as much as you can recover from, and you want to continue to consider how you can push that envelope as you age, because that's going to help you offset those natural VO2 max declines, which in the words of Cousins, he would talk about how we need to be doing much more zone zero, which would be super casual exercise, walking, light bike rides, things like that in addition to more zone one work, because that is going to be foundational aerobically while also putting the least possible stress on the body so that you can do more and recover from it all. So in many ways, if you think about the work that we do in a pyramid with 
the easy zonal work at the bottom of the pyramid, the base, and then the fast work at the very peak. As we age, the base of the pyramid has to get even bigger so that we can get to the same peak or higher peaks. And most people, I think, think about it the opposite way. They think, well, I'm getting older and therefore I shouldn't do as much or I'm getting older and therefore I've earned the right to do less. <laughs> I know for a while I would tell myself that. Well, if I've been running for 20 years, so I can sort of take shortcuts now because I have this massive aerobic system, which is true for certain things. But if I want to continue to improve and strive, I actually need to think about doing more. And by the way, when we think about doing more, it may not mean more running volume. It could mean more walking, more cycling, more swimming, more aerobic volume other ways. And hiking too. I love hiking because one, it's changing the way by which you interact with the ground, but also you'll, you know, have to press up using those quads. You'll build some muscle in, you know, if they're steep hikes. Um, I just wanted to add here though that, um, uh, the good news is this removes uh, a big barrier to entry. Um, that, you know, like because it's less intense work, it's easier to get in motion. And then once you're in motion, this is almost, I, I feel myself almost going back to the slow warmups and polarization of training. And I don't want to be repetitive, but you'll see it play out by embracing that because your body gets warmed up, you get into it. Um, your base gets bigger. And then of course, yeah, you're, you're able to do that faster work on top of the pyramid. And I think part of the way to add this stuff in is just making it part of your daily life. You know, it's just make it part of routine, whether that be, hey, I'm going to walk to a restaurant instead of drive to one. Hey, I'm going to go for a bike ride with my kids super casually instead of watching them or, or not participating. It's, it's, these are the things that should be integrated with, how we do things that should be structurally built in versus thinking, Oh, I have to spend this separate extra time doing something. It's like, it's no, it's how do I engineer my life so that this stuff is all involved. And in a world where we're increasingly sedentary because of the conveniences, because of our reliance on technology, we need to be fighting that as much as anything so that we can get in more of this very easy movement. I'm going to speak to this because it's true in my life, but like it, um, there's some tertiary benefits to what you just recommended. Um, I walk downstairs, like my, my apartment complex happens to have a cool ice machine down in it and free coffee. Um, and every time I want to fill up my Yeti with more ice water, I actually get up and it, and it gives me a break away from the computer and just gets me out. It like a nice little walk is just actually good for the mind. But another tertiary benefit is like at like, um, uh, stores, whether it's a grocery store or a retail store, et cetera. Um, just you never have to get into a fight in the parking lot right. again. Park, if you yeah. embrace the mindset of like, I'm going to park at the farthest parking spot away because nobody's competing with that spot for you. So now you're just calm. You're relaxed. You get that mental benefit of like, I'm doing something good for myself. And people are going to think this is cheesy old James just overselling <laughs> it. But I'm like, I know I'm telling you I'm living it. And it's nice. Like I watch people just like, wait like i'll see someone that pulls in the lot at the same time as me i will park my car in the back part uh farthest spot away i'm walking i'm happy because it's my choice and i owned it and i see that car still sitting there waiting for someone to back out of the first spot and i'm like i guess you don't look at it through the lens of time and in a sense you think you want to park close so you can get in quickly but you're going to get in the store after me 
random, I know, but there are tertiary benefits to taking it's that true, recommendation. Though. You've not only reduced the stress of finding that spot, you've also added more zone zero work to your life. <laughs> it's a win-win. Love it. Amen. So you got to do more, unfortunately, as we age. It's just a part of it. And again, that's more from your starting point. So we're not talking about anybody doing wildly different things than what they're already doing, but just know that whatever your starting point is, you got to keep building that if you want to keep improving. And if you really want to embrace longevity, all right, we got two more and we got about eight minutes because I got to run to a con another conversation. Number seven, we'll cover this quickly because it's a little bit of self-promotion, but I do think as we age, having a coach I think it's important at any age, but I think it could be even more critical as we age, especially a coach who understands how to individualize to an athlete because it gives you that secondary voice to check you essentially on your stuff. And we talked about following your gut, trusting your intuition, all that's great, but it's nice to have another voice that can say, Hey, have you thought about this? Or that you can say, Hey, what do you think about me doing this number of reps or that number of reps? Or, Hey, should I modify this because I'm feeling X, Y, and Z having that external voice to validate what your gut's telling you and check it a little bit while also helping you learn through the process, then becomes even more critical as we age. And so for those runners at any age, but of course, as we age, I would consider even more the importance of a coach if you don't already have one and you know plug for rogue we have virtual group options for 60 bucks a month we've got you know the one you coach rogue rising which is new and open we've got all the way up to one-to-one -to -one personalized coaching for 175 to 250 a month depending on the coach so we've got a huge spectrum of options and if you're invested in it, and of course there's other coaches out there but if you're investing 60 bucks a month in somebody who can help you navigate your own, your gut and make sure you're making the right decisions as well as challenging yourself at the right times when needed, then it's only going to help you in your journey. Yeah. I'm going to uh, emphasize that navigate your gut piece. Like that's the thing that was coming to mind. And really it's like clean up your mind. If anyone's ever had that experience when they saw something great, Oh, I could have I knew that all along, or I could have done that. It's like, yeah, because there is a lot of wisdom in all humans. But the reason why you didn't do that is because you had actually a hundred things floating in your head. And the coach helps you pick out the two or three that are the most important. And so there's an efficiency layer. That's what I hear when I hear you say, navigate the gut. Um, we can whittle it down to like, all right, here you go. These three, four things. You know that when you wake up and execute on it, knock down those dominoes, you're getting most bang for buck out of that activity. Otherwise, you can feel lost in a myriad of, uh, well, of these hundred thoughts floating in my head. They all seem to have some kind of benefit because I've listened to a hundred different podcasts and a hundred different good ideas. Which three should I operate by today? That's not only what a co coach does, but one of the biggest benefits of having a coach. That's what we do. So that's number seven, consider a coach. Number eight, last point here. I do think, and again, there's no line at which you have to think about slowing down. There's no line that says, okay, when you're 44 at my age or when you're 54 or 64, that's the line for everybody. As we said, don't put any limits. There's no point. It doesn't serve you. That being said, I do think as we age, sometimes 
especially for those that have been in the sport longer, there is an opportunity to reframe goals or introduce goals that are, that are new and exciting and different than just time. And I think there are, there are those that are sometimes surprised at how motivating and exciting those other goals might be beyond just one specific time in the clock, which by the way, expands how you can treat success across all races. And I would encourage any runner to embrace that concept. But as we age, you get to some fun things around age group placings. World Marathon Majors has an old age group championship. The athlete I was talking about, Sharon Vaughn. Chicago was the age group championship for World Marathon Majors. She qualified to be at that. She got fourth in her age group. That qualified her for the next one, which is in Sydney, Australia. And so she's got some exciting things. And her, her goals, even though we, we train her for certain times, are primarily focused on age group placing. And that's a cool and exciting thing. And as we age, there's opportunity there because there are few people that are continuing to do it. So, so whether you embrace it from that perspective or you embrace it from, you know, some people will reset their PRs and say, all right, we had, I had my, especially those that have been in the sport longer, I had my pre 40 PRs and my post 40 PRs or post 50 PRs, like being able to reset and say, you know, this is the new threshold to get excited about or standard to get excited about because I'm going to wipe the slate clean and say, all right, from this age on, I'm chasing new PRs. And that is another way to reframe it for when that does come that you're not able to hit those older times. And, you know, we have athletes in our virtual group that where that's true, who did really high level things at a young age that they can't chase now on their fifties and sixties, but that can reset the slate and now chase new older PRs. And that's exciting too. So there are ways to reframe success. There are ways to go chase distances. Maybe you've never been able to cover and, and embrace the ultra world perhaps. And so there's a lot of ways to reframe success. And so I would just consider as you evolve, make sure you're thinking about that. How do you reframe success so that you can stay excited, stay motivated, continue to chase carrots that are going to keep you engaged and fired up? I think that's a beautiful way to end because we started with, oh, there's this fallacy where I'm getting older, therefore I should look for all these bad things to come. And then it becomes a self-limiting belief. That's a beautiful way to end because it's like, why not just go start looking for these positive ends and see where it takes you? Yeah. And who knows where it will take you, but don't put limits. As we said, keep dreaming big, regardless of age and consider the eight things as you do it. So we'll wrap it there. Thanks to James for joining me. This has been a fun one. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to our sponsors for this episode, John G and care of, as always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.